Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 47, um, starting at verse 13, 3 to 26. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, There is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes, we and our land as well? Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allotment Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favour in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning land in Egypt, still in force today that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. So uh, we continue on in our series uh, in Genesis as we come uh, coming to the end of uh, the book of Genesis. But uh, important uh, chapters, nonetheless, to be uh, considering together. So I'm going to pray and ask God that uh, he'd be with us as we look at this section in Genesis. Gracious Father, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you for the book of Genesis. We ask that by your spirit you would be moving us to be hearing what you would say to us and that we would be growing in our faith and our reliance on you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This Friday night uh, was the second Hope Explored session uh, this term. Hope Explored is uh, a a class or a course that runs for three weeks uh, that introduces people uh, who are perhaps searching uh, to the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, It was the second one that no guests could make it to again. 
but not for uh, the want of uh, some people asking their family and friends. Now, I'm sure uh, for those of us who are trusting in Jesus, we're all keen uh, for people to know and to love uh, that we know and love, for them to come and know Jesus, for them to come into a faith uh, in Jesus. And we're keen for them to hear of that hope that we have uh, in Jesus as well. But for as good as the course Hope Explored might be, it's not actually the best tool at your disposal. Uh, It's certainly not the first tool uh, at your disposal in introducing people to Jesus. Because the best and first tool in helping people to know Jesus may be not so much what you say or what anyone says, but how you are around them. That being blessed in Christ, you'll be a blessing to them. Which is where the passage, I think, is taking us today. But before we get to that, let's uh, recap on where we've been so far in the story of Genesis. After 13 long years, Jacob is reunited to his son, Joseph, uh, who's now the Prime Minister of Egypt, and he's overseeing the biggest grain collection and distribution project in the world. And shrewdly, as we saw last week, he, uh, Joseph encourages Israel, Israel that is uh, Jacob, his father, and all his brothers and their families, Joseph encourages them to say to Pharaoh, when Pharaoh invites them to come and stay in Egypt, to say to them that they're shepherds. And because the Egyptians are so keen on shepherds, uh, Pharaoh will send them to a remote yet fertile part of Egypt up in the north, uh, which happens. And this actually works to keep some separation between Egypt and Israel while Israel is in Egypt. Amazingly too, uh, during this great time of famine in the land, where we'll see everyone is trading their land and themselves to Pharaoh for food, Israel instead is being given land. Rather than giving their land away, uh, they're being given land and they're remaining free from servitude to Pharaoh. And this actually reflects uh, Jacob's understanding of himself, as we saw last week in the last passage last week, that his home uh, is firstly where God is, not some patch of dirt, that he's, he's God's man, he's a pilgrim, but he's He's God's man first, not Pharaoh's, and as such, he's blessed. But more than that, he's a blessing to others, as God promised. And that's where we're going in the passage today. Firstly, to see that we're blessed, as God's people, in Christ, uh, to be a blessing. So, pretty simple. Blessed to be a blessing. So, first up, blessed in Christ. As we shift from Jacob's interactions with Pharaoh and uh, settling his dad and his family in Egypt uh, to Joseph's, Joseph's dealings then with the suffering, those that are suffering under the severe famine uh, in the land of Egypt and, and the surrounds. And in this we see he's actually a blessing. Uh, all the people say, and you read it uh, just a moment ago in verse 25, you've saved our lives. <laughs> That's the conclusion of what uh, he's done for them. Uh, Joseph negotiates with them for grain to eat and to live, and in doing so he saves them. And as such, he's a blessing. But this shouldn't surprise us, uh, given that he's a descendant of Abraham. You know, way back in Genesis, you might remember, God made promises to his great-grandfather, uh, to Abraham. Uh, in chapter 12 we read, The Lord said to Abram, later to be called Abraham, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So, Abram went as the Lord had told him. Abram travelled through the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So, God promises, we see that, uh, God promises that he'll make Abram, Abraham into a great nation, that he'll bless Abraham and whoever blesses him, uh, that through him all people on earth will be blessed and that he'll give his, his offspring the promised land. Promises that get passed on to Abraham's son, Isaac, and then on to Isaac's son, Jacob, and then on to Jacob's son, Joseph. And Pharaoh ends up blessing Joseph. So what's going to happen to him? He honours Joseph. He makes him the Prime Minister of Egypt. And through him, ends up blessing Joseph's now reconciled family. And as such, he's incredibly blessed, just as God promised. Through Joseph, Pharaoh not only uh, manages to look after his country during the famine, but he amasses great wealth. More than that, the nations around about Uh, starving with famine, they come to Joseph to buy grain and live. Joseph is a blessing to all peoples, just as God promised. And in this we see not only God keeping his promises to bless, but the nature of God's blessing. As people are starved, are saved, sorry, from starvation and death uh, through Abraham's offspring. They are saved through Abraham's offspring from starvation and death. And in this, Joseph is kind of like, he's a type, uh, a shadow, kind of an anticipation of God's blessing in the world, a picture of how he works to bring his promised blessing about. This is a, uh, a very cool Lego minifig of the Marvel character. Who is it? Wolverine. Okay, so... Uh, the best character uh, in the X-Men troop, a team, arguably the entire Marvel canon. Uh, now, this exercise is actually, uh, what I'm going to ask is, for those who have no idea who Wolverine is, please uh, put your hands up. Excellent. All right, so only you can answer this. All right, I'm going to show you a real-life picture of Wolverine uh, with him and his X-Men mates, and I'm wondering if you can pick him out. Okay, you ready? So nobody who knows Wolverine, just those who don't. All right, where is he? Can you see him? Yeah, Hugh Jackman. Nice one. Excellent. Well done. Well, that was an illustration of, uh, in the same way that right from the start, here in Genesis, uh, with Joseph, the Bible prepares us uh, for the way that God works. With Joseph as a kind of a minifig of the Christ, right? So that when the real thing rocks up, we can recognise him and go, yeah, there he is. Which happens thousands of years later, of course, with Jesus. As the nations are seen to be truly blessed through the offspring of Abraham, Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul uh, says in Galatians, the promises, they were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture doesn't say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ? It's ultimately Jesus that all God's promises to Abraham are fulfilled. And Joseph, then, here in this story, is a type of Christ. Which means, in the first instance, if we're going to be putting ourselves into this story, uh, if we're going to be identifying with anybody in this story, firstly, it'll be the starving people, not Joseph. 
people who are desperately coming to find life in the face of death, starving for spiritual life, coming to Jesus to find life in the face of death, real death, not just the passing away of the body, but a broken relationship with God that promises uh, an eternal famine, forever starving for, for meaning and for happiness, always and forever in pain. And to escape this, we'll be prepared to give our money, our time, our livelihood, our own bodies to, to have Jesus, to come to Jesus. Uh, Jesus put this, puts it like this in a really cool story that he tells. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and bought it. You know, what's more precious than eternal life with God? What's more precious than that? And yet we're all dying. We're all in a famine of, of real life, trending towards eternal death. And yet in Jesus we find eternal life, a pearl of great value. And so it's no loss then to lose everything else in this life, which is wasting away anyway, to gain eternal life in Jesus, to get Jesus, to have Jesus. Joseph is a type then of the saviour that we find completely in Jesus. And he's worth selling everything else you have to have him. Because without him, we're starving eternally to death. But I think that sometimes we might forget that. It's a bit like uh, perhaps those some of those who, who struggle with anorexia. They think they're overweight, but they're actually emaciated. There's a disconnect between reality and what they believe. And maybe like this, we're just not aware of how spiritually starving we are. Because if we were, well then we'd happily give ourselves body, mind and spirit over to Jesus because we want to live. And can't help ourselves saying to Jesus, maybe something like what the Egyptians said to Joseph, you've saved our lives. May we find favour in the eyes of our Lord. We'll be in bondage, happily in service to your Heavenly Father. To be blessed in Christ is to be saved from starvation and death. It's to be alive, happily a bond servant and, and thankful. How do you know if you're blessed? Well, it's if you're thankful. It's interesting uh, to note that a key way sin expresses itself, it's actually in ingratitude. Uh, the Apostle Paul notes this uh, when he writes in uh, Romans, the letter to the Romans, uh, talking about those who reject God. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. A key way that sin expresses itself is ingratitude, not thanking God. And so then a key sign of faith in Jesus, of actually being reconciled to God, of being completely forgiven and right with God, that is gratitude. So how are we going with that? Are we thanking God for all the things that he's given us at, at, at any and every available opportunity? Are we pondering regularly on what Christ has done for us? Are we saying to him things like, you've saved my life? May I find favour in your eyes, Lord. I'll happily be a slave to your Father. Perhaps we could pray along the lines of the poet John Donne. Uh, when he prays, when he writes this, Batter my heart, three-person God, for you as yet but knock, breathe, shine and seek to mend, that I may rise and stand, overthrow me and bend, you're forced to break, blow, burn and make me new. Yet dearly I love you, 
and will be loved fame, but am betrothed unto your enemy. Divorce me, untie or break that knot again. Take me to you, imprison me, for I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free. It would be good to be able to pray something like that. Let's acknowledge that to be a slave to anyone or anything but God, that that's beneath us. And that whatever it is that we're a slave to, it's actually our enemy. If it's our tech, our job, our entertainment, our good times, whatever it might be. But to be God's slave, it's actually a freedom. It's a blessing and it's a cause for praise, a hope that we have as much reason to thank and praise God for Jesus saving us as we do the privilege of being enslaved to him as our Lord. Because to find favour in God's eyes through faith in Jesus and to offer our servitude to him is to escape spiritual starvation and slavery to death. And instead, it's to enjoy eternal life and freedom. It's to be supremely blessed. As all those who came to Joseph were blessed, all the more, all those who come to Jesus. And as such, all the more, as we come to Jesus and are blessed in him, we can then bless others. Which brings us to uh, our second point, to be a blessing. Because those who are in Christ, they will be a blessing. How? Well, in part by being fair and merciful, as Joseph was. Now, at first glance, you might seem that uh, it might seem that Joseph is anything but fair and merciful uh, in this story, fleecing the Egyptians, taking advantage of their desperation just to make Pharaoh rich. But uh, Joseph's not just taking their money; uh, he's giving them grain to feed them uh, their families to save them from certain death. Uh, verse fourteen: the problem isn't the price; the problem is that there's the famine; that there's no way to make any more money. No one's complaining that Joseph's overcharging. Uh, the animals in the land, they're worthless uh, to, to people at this point in the famine. If Joseph didn't take the animals, they'd die of starvation, verse 16. Uh, their land is parched and worthless too, and yet Joseph buys it off them in exchange for more food to save them, verse 19. And although they sell themselves into bondage to Pharaoh, they're the ones who suggest it, not, not Joseph, and although uh, we're told in verse 21 that Joseph reduced the people to servitude, what's de- being described here is not like Roman ser- slavery or uh, African-American slavery. It's more like the, the serfdom of uh, feudal Europe. You know, a serf was someone who worked their lord's estate, like uh, the farmer Timothy Drew from Downton Abbey, right? He's the trusted serf of the Crawley family, happily working their land and getting some of the proceeds for him and his family. That's, that's more of the idea here in Egypt with Pharaoh and the Egyptians. You know, not only are they saved from starvation, but they get to keep 80% of the profit on the land later on. And it's Joseph who's brought this all about for everybody's good. He's been more than fair. He's been merciful. And he wins people over because of it. Verse 25, what do they say? You've saved our lives, they said. More than that, may we find, find favour in your eyes, uh, uh, the eyes of our Lord. We'll be in bondage, happily in bondage to Pharaoh. The Egyptians happily entrust themselves over to Pharaoh because of Joseph's fairness and mercy. But Joseph is doing this not firstly for Pharaoh, but for God. 
Back when he reveals himself to his brothers in chapter 45, he says to them this. We read, Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me here ahead of you. Joseph knows why God's put him in the job that he's got, why he's blessed him the way that he has. It's to save lives. It's to be a blessing. By being fair and merciful in this instance. And in so doing, he wins people over. And in this, Joseph, I reckon, is something of a model for us who are trusting in Christ. Because as those blessed in Christ, we're to be a blessing too, to others, so that we might win them over to God. As the Apostle Peter says, Live such good lives among the pagans, that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Peter calls believers to live such good lives that those in the world can't deny your good deeds. That at the end of the day they'll have to glorify God because they'll see your good deeds were because of him. Or or your good deeds, uh, particularly when it comes to submitting to the human authorities that God has set in place, that this will check people's ignorance about Christianity and Jesus. And maybe give them uh, reason to ask you about it. As Peter seems to anticipate in his letter later on, Verse 15, chapter 3, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. The best way to win people over or give them a chance to hear of the hope that you have in Jesus is to be live noticeably good, godly lives. Live lives that actually bless them. Lives like Joseph that are characterised by fairness and mercy. I uh, heard a story once of a uh, a business executive who took the heat for a blunder that one of the juniors in another team in his business had made. And when the junior followed him up later on to ask why he did it, he said, well, I'm a Christian and I I believe in Jesus and I believe that he took the heat for me and I want to pass it on. That's a man who knows what it means to be blessed, to be a blessing. He showed mercy and that mercy led him to being able to give a reason for the hope that he had in Christ. Who knows what impact it had on that junior. I wonder if we're a blessing for those we work for or with or study with. Are we being fair? Noticeably fair. Merciful. Noticeably merciful. Are we working hard and maybe creatively to advance our bosses or our companies or our teachers' interests? Are we helping colleagues or fellow students when they're struggling with workloads? Are we the one known to, that doesn't gossip, but instead is quick to point out other people's strengths? Are we constantly offering support and perhaps prayer to those who are troubled or hurting? Are, are we sharing conversations with everyone from the janitor to the manager, from the geek to the emo? Are we keen to tell the truth when we're selling a product, talking about arrival, promising a delivery date, 
cutting a deal? Are we honest in filling out our expense reports, creating an advertising campaign, or replying to direct questions from our parents or teachers? As those who are blessed with salvation from eternal death into eternal life with Jesus will want to bless others, telling them of the hope that we have in Jesus, but perhaps only after they've seen us be fair and merciful. Corrie ten Boom uh, was a Dutch Christian who saved many Jews during World War II. She uh, got herself thrown into a concentration camp for her efforts. Uh, she was the daughter of a watchmaker, Caspar ten Boom. And uh, she loved him. He was a godly man. And before the war, she recounts a story of her father. Uh, one day, a very wealthy gentleman came into the shop and bought a very expensive watch. In the process of buying it, however, he commented to Casper that he used to have a good watchmaker uh, in town, but he, he died and his son had taken over. Uh, but his son had sold him a dodgy watch and he just couldn't seem to fix it, taken it back to him three times and couldn't fix it. And so he decided to, to find another watchmaker. And so that's why he was there. Casper knew the, uh, the other watchmaker and his son, and he asked the wealthy cost customer if he could see the dud watch. Now, he opened up the back of the watch, he adjusted something, he gave it back, and he said, uh, there, there, it's just a little mistake, it'll be fine now. Sir, I trust the young watchmaker, he's just as good as his father, I think you can encourage him by buying the new watch from him. The wealthy customer objected, but Casper went on, he said, this young man has had a difficult time in the trade without his father. If you have a problem with one of his watches, come to me. I'll help you out. Now, I'll give you back your money and you return my watch, please. Once the man left the shop, uh, Corrie, who'd been listening to it all and knew desperately how they needed uh, cash at that time, cried out, how could you? And he said to her, Corrie, you know that I brought the gospel to the burial of Mr. Van Hooten. What do you think that young man would have said when he heard that one of his good customers had gone to Mr. Ten Boom? Do you think that the name of the Lord would have been honoured? There is blessed money and cursed money. Trust the Lord. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He'll take care of us. Casper Ten Boom was a man who was admired and respected for his fairness and his mercy and as a result his impact for the Lord Jesus, was powerful. He knew he was blessed in Christ and that's why he sought to be a blessing to others for Christ's sake, by being fair and merciful. He was a bit like Joseph. He was a bit like how we could be, a blessing to those around us. And in this Knowing we're blessed in Christ to be a blessing to others, particularly as we're fair and merciful to them, it's more likely that we'll be able to bless them with hearing the hope that we have in Christ and perhaps more likely to come along to something like Hope Explored when we invite them. Now I'm going to pray to that end now. Let's talk to God. Gracious Heavenly Father, thanks so much for the blessing that we have in the Lord Jesus, that we are incredibly blessed. We are rich. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in the Lord Jesus. Please help us as those so blessed to be a blessing to those around about us. 
not just for Christ's sake, but for the sake of those that we hang around, that they might see we are fair and merciful and be so drawn to ask after the hope that we have. And in this way, would you be exposing more and more people to the wonderful good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.